Balotelli, Aguero! Lewandowski goes through again, oh he just can't do it, you just cannot be that good, that is an amazing goal, I think he's scored a goal every time he's had a shot. What's going on guys, we are back with another episode of the 50 plus one football podcast, your home for all things Premier League, Bundesliga and Champions League. We have a host of topics for you today, but with me as always, a man who is like Chelsea Football Club is to Roman Abramovich because he wouldn't want to sell me and I wouldn't want to sell him. It's Billy. That's why only a government sanction could make me get rid of you. Exactly. That, that, is, that is literally the only reason we haven't seen each other in person for two years. That's depressing. That's, that is actually depressing. Well... Before I start to cry, like exactly, Lewis said, do. we do have a whole host of topics for you this week, including Tottenham Hotspur. What really is uh, the problem? A little bit of Arsenal appreciation, I know, coming from us. <laughs> we will then touch on Chelsea and the whole issue surrounding them before we move over to the Bundesliga and we look at how the injuries are really affecting Bayer Leverkusen now having just lost Jeremy Frimpong and more importantly, Florian Wirtz. Then we'll take a look at the four-way battle for Champions League in Germany between Leipzig, Freiburg, Hoffenheim and Cologne. And Hoffenheim did just hold Bayern to a one-all draw. And then we'll take a look at Hertha Berlin's new interim manager, Felix Magat. Magical managerial mastermind or maniacal madman? This is the second one. But I think it's time to dive straight in to the Premier League. Okay, so you said Tottenham, what are the problems? They're all not that, you know, what they're cracked up to be. And we did have a dig at their star duo last week. But... That 3-2 loss to Manchester United obviously made you very happy. But what would you say was one of the biggest problems Tottenham had during that match? It's their defence. Uh, that is just the, the biggest the biggest thing. The I, crux of the issue. Yeah. It doesn't help that one of the back three is a recognised centre-half, and that's Christian Romero, who is, don't get me wrong, he's, he's very good, but he's still very naive. So he's almost like a bit of a Upamecano situation. He sometimes just goes, you know, on his own adventure up, you know, takes the ball up and then inexplicably loses it somewhere around midfield. Pretty much. And it's, they, they, they're not on the same wavelength. You know, they, they have moments where they can be. You think about the Man City game. They kept them out for a large portion of that game. Yeah. But Eric Dyer is decidedly mid, but I don't, rate him at all and the same with Ben Davies but oh do you want to hear a little little uh, dad joke Eric Dyer is dire I'm going to move on before uh, <laughs> before I leave <laughs> okay in all honesty if you had told me that one I probably just gotten up do continue I just got up and left 
Yeah, but bad joke of the year. You look at the you look at the the center backs they have on the bench. You know, Joe Rodon they bought from Swansea, who yeah. again has had his moments, but it's been a largely inconsistent start. And Davinson Sanchez, who again has had moments, but I, I think on the whole, if he went tomorrow, Tottenham fans I don't think would be disappointed. And I was about to say, hasn't he been, you know, on the way out a couple of times now? Every window it comes up that these he's one of those ones that, that's after leaving. But I think if Antonio Conte does stay, and he probably will, let's let's be honest, unless there's some horrific self-destruction and they don't win a game between now and the end of the season. Yeah. I, I don't know. Matt Doherty and Sergio Reguilon don't. I don't know. They don't. They don't fill anyone with confidence or strike. You know, if, if I was to say to you, "Oh," uh, and on Saturday evening we will have the uh, the battle between Alex Tellers and Matt Doherty down the uh, United left flank. It's like uh, thumbs up, cool. Like what? He's he's a good player, but he's not Tottenham level, and this is this is the problem. You, okay, uh, the second goal for United. They all push out, apart from Reguilon, who hangs back. But that's such a bad way to play because why are you trying? You know, I can't understand why they're killing the offside trap. Yeah, and and then Ben Davis completely negates that by losing Ronaldo. Christian Romero shouted in Harry Maguire's face when he scored the own goal, and then lost Ronaldo for the header, which is hilarious. But it's not just that game I want to talk about because you look at some of the games that Tottenham have had recently. So, yeah, they lost 3-2 to United. They beat Everton 5-0, which uh, isn't hard. I was about to say, pretty much everyone is beating Everton 5-0 at this point. It's just... Uh, You know, they they then... So, they... uh, Okay. Let's go from... They did knock Leeds down 4-0, but then again, it's also Leeds and Everton are almost in the same kind of... Okay, let's let's go back to the 9th of Feb. 9th of Feb, okay. okay. So they were they were 2-1 up against Southampton. Uh, yes. And then two goals in two minutes give Southampton a 3-2 win. Yeah. Uh, they then lost 2-0 to Wolves. They then beat Man City 3-2, and they actually played really well. This wasn't like Wolves where they were horrendous. They genuinely played really well. They then lost to Burnley. They then beat Leeds 4-0, but, you know, Bielsa was on the way out at that point. Then Borough in the cup, and it's like, they really, and I've seen it when Son and Kane don't play well, Tottenham don't play well. Yeah, but Son and Kane don't defend. Son and Kane aren't the, the aren't the wing, you know, they, they create an incredible amount for themselves, very little for other people. Well, yeah, but that's kind of what you want from your striking duo, if I'm not much mistaken. Their job is to score goals. I mean, I know there's a, uh, you know, there, there's the classic, the striker is the first defender, so to speak. And, you know, that is tactically sound. But at the end of the day, he might be the first defender, but the first one there is usually, you know, the one who gets probably negated as negated as the easiest defender. Like, if we're being honest, it doesn't take much to take the striker out of, you know, the build-up play. Um, 
or when you go forward basically with the ball and, you know, to play the ball past the striker. So if we're being honest, yeah, their defensive prowess shouldn't be, you know, called into question. It should be, you know, Kane and Son are doing their jobs up top. What is going on with the rest behind them? Because as you, I mean, as you said, their whole defensive woes not going away anytime soon because they just don't have. I struggle to, I struggle to think of any one of their backline who probably is at the level that Tottenham Hotspur desire to be at, which is challenging for European places. And you know, funnily enough, you dragged their wing backs or their, you know, their fullbacks through the mud just now. And I quite clearly remember you about a year and a half, two years ago, having a shitstorm about how Region ran up and down Man United's right side in the Europa League final. Yeah, he did. But he doesn't do it as much for Tottenham. So in the end, you're happier that you actually got Alex Tellez rather than Sergio Region. <clears throat> Big question right there. Be careful how you answer. <laughs> All I'm saying is, has uh, Sergio Reguilón scored a volley from outside the box against Villarreal in the uh, Champions League group stages? That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> okay. I think that's a quite a clear answer on that front. But yeah, Tottenham, you know, we've seen this in Borussia Dortmund and Erling Haaland when they uh, are missing Haaland due to injury and whatnot that, you know, there is an over-dependence because when he's not on the pitch, basically very little goes right for Dortmund. And it almost likened that situation to what Tottenham are facing right now is that if Kane or Son were to get injured or, you know, rack up too many yellow cards, what, whatever, how would Tottenham fare? And I'd say Tottenham would probably start plummeting down the table because... That's their lifeline at the minute is the Kane Son partnership. Yeah, that's that's a massive part of Tottenham. But I I want to uh, probably retract something I said during the transfer window, and that was my complete dismissal of Dejan Kulusevski, who has genuinely Ooh. looked very impressive when I, when I've watched him play for Tottenham. He scored, uh, you know. A, a, some really nice goals. He got that one against City, he scored against Leeds. He looked really dangerous against United up against Alex Tellers. Fair enough. You know, he he won the penalty from across and he had there were a couple opportunities where he pulled it back. But that you know, both Son and Kane were uh towards the six yard box, not not in the penalty yeah. spot. But yeah. yeah, we we sort of well, I definitely dismissed him as a Juventus reject. Well, yeah, but I mean, if we're being honest, at the time, there weren't many people who I think would have judged him to be a success right away, or at least producing solid performances right away. No, and he's proven me wrong, which is, you know, it's, it's actually quite refreshing to watch watching play, to be fair. Uh, but uh, props to Tottenham for letting United score their second goal from a set piece of the season from the 152nd corner. Wow. Yes, I know. Uh, Let's leave the white side of uh, North London. And as much as uh, this is 
new territory for us. Let's praise Arsenal instead of slagging them off for once. I was about to say, because I'm going to give you props for saying this. I want to say it was last week or the week before. Ever since Arsenal got rid of the fungus that was Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, they have all of a sudden blossomed into a side that looked much like the Arsenal from about 2014, 2015, that era. You know, the Arsenal that we know, or we always made the memes about, you know, they'll finish top four. They'll do everything they can for the title, and then they'll finish top four. You know, it's been a while since finishing top four for Arsenal was, you know, underperforming. So it's kind of refreshing to seeing Arsenal not, you know, dicking around at, at about 10th place in the table, but effectively challenging four Champions League spots, which is something they haven't done since 2016. And, <clears throat> okay, so Aubameyang has got five and six for Barca. So I'm not saying that he was, you know, finished, but I think it was just that. Sometimes, it wasn't, it, sometimes things don't work and you have to go your separate ways. It wasn't the fact that he was, you know, he's a bad player, but I think it was his attitude that was the problem. Yeah. You know, but, <clears throat> but you look at that Arsenal side, you know, Aaron Ramsdale has proven me wrong. Fantastic save against Leicester. Yeah. I yeah. think wow. 30 million for Martin Odegaard could quite comfortably be one of the bargains of recent times. Fair enough, yeah. I think the only, possibly the only three things they're missing at Arsenal is another striker, because Lacazette is very up and down. Ed Nketi is off. Yeah. uh, For a free. So they're going to need another striker. A right back because Cedric is just not it. You know, if you're going to be playing Champions League football, you're going to need someone better than Cedric. Oh, 100%. And probably another centre midfielder to replace, you know, Granite Xhaka because Bukayo Saka, you'll have years out of. Gabriel Martinelli, you'll have years out of. Emil Smith Rowe is their top scorer. Uh, I think he's injured at the moment. Yeah, and Udegaard's 23. No, Emma Smith Rowe's on the bench, right? He's a top scorer and he's on their bench. Yeah, he came in for, uh, he came on for Martinelli. So, yeah, they've got uh, Sambi Lokonga, but I don't think, again, I don't think he's quite up to, up to the task. Yet. I wouldn't say that. I think it's new league, quicker league. Uh, Nuno Men, uh, is it Nuno Mendes? No, Nuno Tavar- Tavares. He's, yeah. again, he's, he's a, he's a a comfortable backup to Kieran Tierney. You know, they did struggle when Tierney was out. They struggle when they don't have Ben White and Gabriel. I don't think Rob Holding's really there, but if they can get Champions League football for Arsenal, that would be massive for them for the first time in, what, eight years it'll be. Nah, not quite. You do remember the uh, 2016-17 season where it was a solid 10-2 on aggregate against uh, Bayern. Yes. But, I mean, you look at their last 11 games. They've won nine, scored 25, conceded seven. They've got 28 out of 33 points. You know, they're they're in fourth place at the moment. They are um, 
a point above can, United, yeah. but they've played three games less. I can quite comfortably say that I would not have bet on Arsenal to make that type of a turnaround. 100%. Beginning of the season, I would have pegged them to be where Tottenham are at the minute, at the most. I mean, okay, let's uh, let's not get too carried away because two of their games in hand against, are against Chelsea and Liverpool. Still, I'm but not going to lie. I, was gonna, I think they could give them a run for their money. Yeah, the way they are playing... Liverpool might be uh, a bridge too far. But Chelsea? But Chelsea the way they're going definitely right now? there for the kill. Yeah. And they get the result against team against the teams they need to. You know, we're talking Brentford might have been 2-1, but they get the result. Wolves 2-1, they get the result. Watford 3-2, they still get the result. You know, they, they might not be the best of games, but they still managed to do more than, you know, for one thing, a 1-0 win. And, you know, when they concede, they don't let their heads hang. They see it through. And, you know, like you said, nine wins in 11 matches is, is insane. The last four matches have gone in straight wins all back-to-back. And they've quite successfully recovered from their slump at the beginning of the season. a lot of credit has to go to Mikel Arteta. You know, because there were times, even this season, where it was was one loss away from the sack. He's Arsenal fans wanting him out. Arsenal, you know, he's not good enough. He's not up to it, but he's... He's killing it. He's doing really well. They're playing really... Well, it's just effective, good football. Oh, 100%. And... This brings me to one question that I have, and that is, do you think that with the fact that Arsenal have now for quite some time been underwhelming, to say the least, before this recent upswing in form, would you say that that has given Arteta the amount of time to actually have a process, a five-step process, a 10-step process, whatever it is, but to get his process through his team and get them ingrained in his process. Do you think that the time that he has was down to also to the fact that Arsenal fans expectations dropped in recent years? I see that that's a difficult one. I think obviously they did win the, that FA cup against Chelsea. So there yeah, has, they're... there has been silverware, but you know, cause they've not been, challenging for a, a title for, for many years, you know, when Wenger was still there. Yeah. I think the lack of Champions Leagues probably hurt Arsenal fans the most because they don't want to be playing in the in the Europa League and what, not winning the Europa League. I think if you're going to be in it as Arsenal, you're going to have to win at least <laughs> go and win. You know, they got to the final against Chelsea and were completely outclassed. But that Arsenal team is completely different from this Arsenal team. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. Again, they, they've got a couple of difficult games. They've got Liverpool, Chelsea and United. And I'd argue they're the most difficult games they've got, got left. I mean, they've got Newcastle who, who are just playing well. But I mean, they finished their season at Everton. And if you go to the last day needing a win, I think that is probably the best place to go. 
you say that, but if Everton by some miracle managed to get themselves in a spot where that last match of the season is, for lack of a better word, a final, then you're going to be facing an Everton who basically are like a feral animal backed into a corner. You know, they'll start going. They've got nothing to lose at that point. You say that, but I've not seen anything from uh, Everton that would suggest any player is up for any sort of fight. Yeah, okay. (laughs) I don't know. It's a difficult one. And uh, if come the end of the season, Arsenal do get Champions League football at the expense of the likes of United, Tottenham, even, even Chelsea at this point, then it will have been thoroughly deserved. Yeah, I think I cannot uh, disagree with you on that one. Because, you know, that they've got two games in hand over Chelsea and are eight points behind them. Yeah, but Chelsea aren't, aren't playing the best football. But I think maybe we should... They're still getting uh, results, though. Yeah, well... On that fantastically set up segue, I, I thought I'd I thought I'd give you the cross of the season for that one, the service, and I'm going to nod it into the back of the net. Let's leave a red team in London, and let's talk about a blue team in London, who's not having the best time off the pitch. You have to say that because it's basically their woes are created off the pitch or outside the pitch, and are now slowly translating to on the pitch. But before we do take a look at their woes, you have to say that if Chelsea need to win a match, there is one man you call and one man alone, and it's a lanky German by the name of Kai Havertz. Because that guy is insane. I mean, the touch and the finish against Newcastle Find me a better touch, a better first touch to set you up for that goal. And it was it was everything. It was the fact that it was a ball played probably around 50 yards. The fact that it was a first touch without a bounce. The fact that it was a first touch and a finish with the same foot. And the fact that it happened in what seemed like the blink of an eye. It doesn't get much better. And I think, especially when you take a look at the way things started for him, Kai Havertz is, or he is worth every penny that Chelsea spent on him. (laughs) Definitely. Like this is, it was painful last season to see someone who had been so good for Leverkusen come under such like, oh, he's just not worth it. He's not very good. He's he's terrible. And then, I mean, all questions about him should have disappeared when he scored in the Champions League final. But yeah. this season, yeah. he has just kicked on and gone to another level. I mean, he's everyone was like, oh, yeah, Bundesliga, Premier League, the, the difference is staggering. It's just... Yeah, the difference might be the difference might be there, but he is just taking that difference and pulverized it because the Premier League's best can't keep up with him. He is becoming that 
But I think what he was bought for Chelsea to be, like that sort of beating heart of everything yeah. good that they do at the moment. Oh, 100%. And the sad thing is, because we've also said this a few times on the podcast, you could just see the chasm of daylight between what Kai Havertz has done since arriving at Chelsea and what Timo Werner has done since arriving at Chelsea. It's just literally polar opposites in where the development can go. Timo Werner is a difficult one because I could quite comfortably see him going back to the Bundesliga at like a Dortmund or somewhere and scoring 20 goals in a season. Like it's not, sometimes you just aren't fit for a club. And I thought that was the case with Kai Havertz when Frank Lampard was playing him on the fucking right wing. <laughs> it's like, oh, the it's not where he's meant to be, is it? <laughs> one of the best young number 10s in European football isn't playing very well because you've decided to play him on the right wing. Hmm. I wonder why that is, Frank. I hope you get relegated with Everton. <laughs> he's an incompetent manager. Like, you don't buy... Uh, you don't buy a, a fucking jet ski and take it off-roading, do you? It's not... Oh, my jet <laughs> ski's not working. Yes, Frank. Because you're trying to ride it on a skate park. <laughs> ah, incompetent. Bloody cockney. Well, now we've gotten that out of the way, should we take a look at what's going wrong for Chelsea off the pitch? Because their asset or the asset that is Chelsea Football Club has been frozen because officially Chelsea is still owned by Roman Abramovich a Russian national, not only a Russian national, but a Russian oligarch and someone who has for years been suspected of very close ties to Vladimir Putin. It's, I think it, I, for me, in all honesty, I think the sanction of freezing everything within Chelsea football club is a little bit backwards for me. Because on the one hand, I am all for sanctioning Roman Abramovich, especially if he's, if he's got such close ties to the man who has literally just invaded the Ukraine for no apparent reason whatsoever, or at least, you know, reasoning that just doesn't justify invading a different country. But, you know, it, on the other hand, the only, man, the only Russian affected by this is Abramovich, but the UK government have also just frozen the paychecks of so many UK citizens who work within that football club. And for lack of a better word, I don't think they have a single plan in place to help those people. No, I think it, it is just a show of, you know, like sort of my balls are bigger than yours. When you just sanction, I mean, yeah, sanction Abramovich. Don't freeze the accounts of Chelsea where you can't can't pay the bloody, the, you know, the the mega the kitchen staff, staff or exactly, the, or the cleaners or something. But interesting enough, they have or there has been like word of a of a bid from um, a Saudi media group, um, like two point seven billion pounds or something. Well, that is um, what Chelsea's valued at. Yeah, so, but I don't know whether they're letting them be sold or not at the moment. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, that also reminds me of another thing is just the fact that, you know, if, if we're going to be honest, sanctioning Russia, yes, but there is a definite double standard. I mean, Newcastle get taken over by a Saudi consortium and no one cares about the fact that Saudi Arabia have been invading Yemen for God knows how long and been ravaging a different country. That's not a problem. Um, we'll talk, we, we don't even have to talk about the censorship of, uh, of journalists in Saudi Arabia. And that all doesn't warrant the same amount of criticism as Russia. I'm by no means saying that Russia, like the, the sanctions against Russian oligarchs should be rescinded because I'm all for them. Don't get me wrong. Like that is the right course of action. But I also think there is a definite double standard when Newcastle are allowed to waltz in with a Saudi consortium behind at their back and they don't get a word of criticism or, well, they did get criticism, but they don't get any actual actions taken against them. You know, the fact that they just weren't blocked outright, I'm, I'm fuming. I don't know. It's, it's a difficult one. Uh, I don't think uh, we're qualified to uh, go into. It was quite interesting to hear what Thomas Tuchel said, though. When it, oh yeah, that, that's all the questions are. It's not about they could have beaten uh, Newcastle by like twenty, and it would still have been yeah. But how are you getting to Lille on Wednesday? And it was like, oh, well, <laughs> as, as far as I know, we have a plane. If we don't have a plane, uh, we'll get a boat. If we can't, we'll get a coach. And if not, I'll drive a seven seater. And it's like you absolute don. Yeah, I mean, he's basically Tuchel is the ray of hope at Chelsea at the minute. I'm, Jamie Carragher saying you should leave. It's like, imagine... No. Well, eh, why? This isn't a long-term thing. They're going to get sold. They're going to have new owners. It's going to be fine. So it's not it's not a, a thing that needs to be done. But I think it's time we leave the Premier League and let's move over to Germany. Harlan's Volley oh. is beautiful oh. beyond compare. Of course. Why not take a look at the Bundesliga where, you know, as much as it pains me to say, the most interesting thing about the table right now is the fact that there is a four-way run for top four. And if we're being honest, we're taking into account Leverkusen at third, RB Leipzig at fourth, Freiburg fifth, Hoffenheim sixth, maybe to an extent uh, Köln but they are a little bit far off because if we're being honest, there is one point separating third and sixth place, which I think is very, very exciting. And you taking a look also at the teams and what, you know, their road to success has been. We look at where Leipzig were under Jesse Marsh and, you know, they were 10th, 11th at some point. Hoffenheim, no one had on their radar as being one of the teams to push for Europe. And Freiburg just, you know, last season they were already kind of like scratching at maybe UEFA Conference League or something of, of, of that sort. But this season, you know, they're, they're gunning for Champions League. And a club like Freiburg who just, they're one of those, you know, get your hands dirty, get the work done, 
we're a small family club. That's what we are. And it's great to see clubs like that making it this far. Sad thing will be when they get, you know, inevitably picked apart this summer transfer window and then they have to start from zero again. But, you know, for the time being, Freiburg fans enjoy it because this is, I'm all, I'm quite happy for you. I was going to say, if I had to pick one of those outside teams, it would be Freiburg over Hoffenheim, I think. Oh, 100%. And I really hope. I mean, there's a reason Christian Strike, they were given an, a contract extension. But I really oh, yeah. hope, really hope that next season they aren't like shit. Yeah. It would be a depressing turnaround as well. Like you managed to get some form of European football, but your league form takes a horrendous, you know, you get spanked in the Champions League, you get battered in the league, and it's just okay. Let's just go back. Yeah, it would be depressing. But, you know, we have to we have to also look at where these teams have gone. And I think the last weekend alone says it all because Hoffenheim managed to get a draw out of their home match against Bayern, which, yes, Bayern took about five chances and scored none. Well, I say that three of their goals were ruled offside. But Bayern had an abundance of chances in that match. And Hoffenheim held on for dear life and managed to rescue a point out of it, which has kept them fully in this battle for fourth. And third to an extent as well. And, you know, if we're, if we're taking a look at what Hoffenheim has achieved in the last few matches, with the exception of the, of the match against Bayern, they've won four out of the last five. It is an insane record. I think... Okay, so Hoffenheim is probably the same situation as Freiburg. How long do you think it is before someone comes in and bids for round? Yeah. How long is it? I mean, Andre Kramaric has just signed the contract extension, but how long before someone comes in for, uh, say, uh, Ruta? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Freiburg is very much a similar situation. Yeah, Freiburg is a little bit more difficult because I their team is very much like you know. Then there's very few stars, if any, in the Freiburg team. It is of it is a case of let's get your hands dirty and everyone give a hundred percent. I think the only one, Schlotterbeck. Yeah. Maybe Christian Gunter. Again, it's a left back. <laughs> like Nico Schlotterbeck is 22. I think. What do you reckon? I'm going Dortmund to make it. If they some, can get a bid in for yeah, him, yeah. To get some sort of move for Nico Schlotterbeck. Because if Erling Haaland does go, they will have money to burn. Yeah. And I mean, they're going to need it if they're. Uh, Selling Manuel Akanji as well. <laughs> I'd forgotten about Akanji. Exactly. I mean, the funny thing is that apparently Schlotterbeck has been called into the discussion around Bayern if they do not manage to get an Antonio Rudiger or Christensen, who now they are most likely not going to get 
um, and so on and so forth to replace Niklas Zule. But, you know, that's still far down the line. So we might have a bidding war between Bayern and Dortmund when it comes to Schlotterbeck. But, yeah, I mean, I think the best, the best, uh, or it's, it's, almost, it's almost a perfect picture of the match is the fact that Bayern played against their own youth product in Angelo Stiller. You know, he hurt, I think, the most is because he was a central midfield talent who also did make his debut for the uh, for the senior team. And, you know, he was born in Munich, he grew up in Munich, and, you know, he then just didn't see the perspective at Bayern, so he joined Hoffenheim, and now he's a regular starter at Hoffenheim. Funnily enough, Angelo, Angelo Stiller's manager while he was playing for the Bayern reserves was none other than current Hoffenheim manager, Sebastian Hunes. But he's doing a fantastic job. That's the thing. It's like, yeah. The, okay. Depending on how bad the injury to Frimpong is, it looked like a hamstring yesterday. And what is it? Seven to nine months for Florian Verts and his ACL. Well, it's the PCL, actually. It's the uh, front um, cruciate ligament in the knee. So it's... Uh, oh, it's the, act- uh, the patella. Yeah, no, no, no. That's the, that, that is just the patella tendon, but you do have... You have two, you have two uh, you know, crossing ligaments in your knee, one in the front and one in the back that basically allow your knee movement and stability. And he's ripped the front one. The classic one is the, is the rear... So the cruciate ligament, the cruciate, uh, um, or the anterior cruciate ligament, ACL, and if you rip that one, that's the most common one because you know it's hyperextensions, uh, knee twists and whatnot. The front one, the PCL, the posterior one, is actually quite uncommon in that sense. So it depends. I'm not, but I would say, like, obviously, I am no. Uh, orthopedic surgeon so i wouldn't know but i would guess probably around six months minimum probably looking more at like seven to nine as you said it was horrible to cover as well because yeah his legs stark and it's just never going to be fun so and when he went off they just looked like they lost all creativity like i mean adley yeah okay you just not but it's difficult because no I was going to say he's not as good as Florian Verts, but very few people are. Yeah. Um, That's a tall order to follow. It's a difficult one. It would be a massive shame for them to fall off. Yeah. But, I mean, they've now got, they're now getting, you know, their they're starting 11 is getting picked off by injuries one after another. I mean, you know, Patrick Schick out. Many people were saying in the Bayern match that if it had been Patrick Schick instead of Amin Adli in the, in the few situations in front of goal, Maybe Bayer Leverkusen could have gotten the full three points out of that match. Um, now you've got your creativity motor with uh, Florian Wurz missing. I mean, it's it couldn't have come at a worse time because now is effectively crunch time in the season. You know, we're we're in the spring of the season now. This is when you need to be getting the results. Like this is when you need to basically be. Uh, really rewarding yourself for the work you've done up until now. And it'd be a shame, as you said, if Leverkusen worked so hard to get themselves to third that they didn't reward themselves 
you know, with actually finishing the season in Champions League spots. On the flip side, it would be a, a really nice thing to see that new uh, Europa Park steady, uh, stadion for Freiburg in the Champions League. So. Oh, 100%. I mean, I'm low-key hoping that Leipzig manage only Europa League instead of Champions League. and then I don't think that will happen. I think Tedesco's got them playing too well. Yeah. Top four, Bayern, Dortmund, and then one of Leipzig and Freiburg. You're counting Leverkusen now. I yeah, without um, Musha Diaby's having a fantastic season, but without Patrick Schick, without Florian Vertz, and to a lesser extent without Jeremy Frimpong, then yes. But uh, I think let's leave the top four, and let's before we finish have a look at. And we did speak about this last week: the troubles at. Gladbach and Hertha Berlin. They played each other the weekend. Gladbach won 2 0. And uh, now Felix Magat is the manager of Hertha Berlin. And the memes have already come rolling in about the, you know, the, it's basically a picture of Davy Zaker with his arms over his head like this. And he's just, you know, and the caption is when you see the first shipment of medicine balls and weights coming to Hertha's training ground because Felix Magat is notorious for pushing his teams to the limit physically and brutally. The reason Bayern have a basically a hill running course at their training facility where you basically run uphill and you do uphill sprints is due to Felix Magat's time there as a manager. The guy is, notor- as I said, notoriously brutal for uh, his physical training regimen. Maybe that's what Hertha Berlin need because those players really don't look like they are in any fighting shape that you do need to be getting out of that bottom relegation zone. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you, you say that. I've just seen a tweet from uh, Jan Arger Fjortov. Do you play for Frankfurt and yeah. Swindon and Borough in the Premier League? Um, first training session for Hertha Berlin players today under under Felix Magat. They'll probably run from Brandenburger Tour to Potsdam and back backwards without breathing. <laughs> there you go. But like I think I said, a, no a, lot of, a lot of people, a lot of people, uh, that don't follow the Bundesliga as uh, obsessively as we do, <laughs> especially if they're English, will only know him from when he had a brief, <laughs> brief, and I say brief, tenure as Fulham manager. Uh, because he came in in 2014 and he also left in 2014. So... He would be. That was just. It was meant to be an eighteen-month contract. Um, that was just a marriage that was doomed from the beginning. Uh, that was, was just. He was sacked. Clearing. Sacked yeah. in September, after a run of eleven league games without a win, he finished his record at Fulham with four wins, four draws, and twelve losses. So that was just manager and manager and club just did not see eye to eye from the minute they started working together. I don't know what they were thinking because it's not like Felix Magat hasn't had any success. You know, he got Bayern to a double 
multiple times in the mid 2000s. You know, he's not, he, he's no stranger to winning stuff. So I think just he was, him and Fulham just didn't fit whatsoever. The philosophy of the club at Fulham and his philosophy, I just, nah, wasn't there. I think now we really can start having a laugh at them for going full Schalke. Because what is this, coach number three of the season? Yep. And uh, it'll be interesting because literally last week we were, uh, there was that picture in that interview that went round that they had a big meeting with the players. It wasn't, they didn't see it as uh, Corkut's fault. And then he gets the sack. Genuinely wouldn't be surprised if some players had played their last game this season. Well, I think to an extent, it's a question of how many players can Hertha Berlin afford to put on the bench, if we're being honest. Because, you know, there's only so many times you can rotate a starting 11 before... You know, you run out of players, literally. But fucking hell, they've got five first-team goalkeepers. <laughs> uh, that that is just that is just two goalkeepers too many. You know, the fourth and fifth goalkeepers must be asking themselves, "What the hell am I doing here?" Because the chances of them playing are virtually zero. I mean, that's already the the true for for the third goalkeeper. But yeah, I don't know. Especially they get they bought Alexander Schwolo from Freiburg, which incidentally is pretty funny because the guy had an amazing season with Freiburg and then he was supposed to make this next big step in his career. And now he is fighting against relegation while Freiburg are skipping around fighting for Champions League. And Flecken has like, does he not have the best save percentage in the league or something? He did it. Yeah. He's the best goalkeeper on the fan- on fantasy league as well. I think he's my goalkeeper on Fantasy League. Or he was at He's one definitely point. my goalkeeper because I, I know he got me points this week, even though Flavel conceded twice. But just going through that team that played against... Gladbach, there's, yeah. There's no place for Suat Serdar in the starting eleven. Well, this is what I've been saying. You know, why we... I don't know what hats I were thinking buying Serdar for 8 million, no less from a relegated Schalke team that, for lack of a better word, was just a wreckage of a team, of a club. And they actually spent money on him. Funnily enough, there was also this one thing I sent you, which was uh, that Serra has now had eight different managers in the last two seasons in two different clubs. Just let that go through your head. It's like he's one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. If you manage a team with Suat Serdar in it, you're going to get the sack. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> what do you reckon the odds are of uh, Felix Magak getting the sack before the end of the season? Because that would just culminate the worst possible season. They'll go down. They won't come straight back up. And they will, they'll be like Hamburg. They'll just struggle down there in Hanover and things like that. They'll just really struggle. And to be honest, I mean, it'd be like, it, it, I would say, I would, I would always say, never say never because Vera Bremen sacked Florian Kofet with one match to go in the league 
and they were in the relegation zone. So you can you can't ever you can't crazier things have happened. I wouldn't be surprised if Maga got the sack, you know, two three matches beforehand because I think by some miracle that Hatta can pull themselves out. But you know, I think Didi Haman said it as said it best. He was right next to Gleuterfurt. Hatta Berlin are probably the most likely to go down right away. And he, he went as far as to say, if I were a Hertha fan right now, I would be signing off on any prediction that had Hertha Berlin on 16th and in the relegation playoff spot. And I would have to fully agree. That is their best case scenario at this point. Well, let's, uh, let's get rid of Greuther Fertz because they are just the Norwich of, of Germany. Let's get rid of Hertha Berlin and let's get rid of I'm going to say Armenia Bielefeld. And uh, let's bring up St. Pauli, Darmstadt, and uh, sod it. Give me FC Nuremberg instead of... Nah, come on. I want to see Ben Abraham have been doing so well in the, in the second Bundesliga yeah, this season. Yeah, but it's just someone different. You don't want them to go down and come back up again. I want different teams. I want St. Pauli back in the Bundesliga. Okay, that'd be funny, but... You know, and I, got a because... I got a Darmstadt shirt from... Uh, Mystery football kits. So I want an excuse to wear that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, okay. I, in all honesty, I think Darmstadt, eh, no, I don't really want them in there. I would love to see Nuremberg back in the Bundesliga. I would love to see Werder Bremen back in there. Um, and St. Pauli, I think, is my top pick to go up. Atmosphere be, alone. Oh, atmosphere alone. That stadium. It doesn't get much more rustic and, you know, really, it's really, you know, the working, it's a workers football club. You know, you can see that in the stadium. It's, it's amazing. So I would love to have Zank Pauli come back up, but yeah, I don't know. Bielefeld probably will go down and their goalkeeper, Stefan Ortega is being linked with a move either to Bayer Leverkusen to duel Radetzky for the starting position or to become the new backup behind Manuel Neuer. And, that and, would he, be... gets a, and he gets a cool 3.5 million for sitting on the bench for the whole season. If he won't, I'll do it. <laughs> well, I think that's probably a good place to leave it this week. What? And forget Ronnie boy. Breaking the record for the most goals scored. How, as a Man United fan, have you let that slip through? Because I was conscious not to turn this into the Ronaldo hour. But uh, seeing as you've brought it up and not me. (laughs) 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 Messi who? I'm terribly sorry. (laughs) Tom Brady watched him score a hat trick and went, yeah, no, I still want this. And came out of retirement. So, you know. Exactly. I mean... Add it to the list of his many achievements. He brought the greatest NFL football player out of retirement to go for another season within an hour and a half. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's probably had this idea for a lot longer than that, but we're going to go with it. Uh, how would you like to be the guy who just bought Tom Brady's last NFL touchdown ball auction for half a million dollars? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> My guy, would you not just take it back? Give me the money back. You would, you just would want to shoot yourself after that. Oh, 
Imagine like, you buy I'd it want, for. I'd want every touchdown ball he ever made until he yeah, retires that money. again. Probably, presumably, yeah. the end of next season. But. <laughs> 807 goals for Ronaldo is an obscene amount. And there's all that, oh, this is FIFA rankings because, yeah, Santos uh, Santos say that, yeah, but Pele scored like 3,000 goals because he played against, you know, like some sheep or something. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. Those don't count. Records are there to be broken. Let's not, just because he's old, let's not go... Yeah, but you can't score because he's he's Pele. You can't score more than Pele. But uh, there we go. Ronaldo is the best. Uh, Messi is uh, just a dusty baller in the French League. I think it's time we wrap up. Thank you for saying that so succinctly. I think, uh, yeah. Otherwise, I'm going to start mouthing off about the Ballon d'Or again. We yeah, let's not. As always, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to AT Sports News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We are always bringing you daily breaking news content, such as the Typhoon Korkut sacking and the Felix Magat appointment. Uh, and make sure to check out the previous episodes of this podcast for a laugh and also keep your eye out for our weekly podcasts on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify bringing you all the best reactions to the latest news in the footballing world. But thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm and love the beautiful game.